Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And as you see uh, this week and next week, I'm talking about Jesus is alive. So what? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those questions, I guess, that's a, an honest question. The church celebrates every Sunday and, and often communion, looking back at Jesus' death and resurrection. So what? Right? Did it actually happen? And if so, what's the impact here and now? Is it just to make us religious? Or is there something more? And so that's what we're looking at this week. And next week, now, I, uh, I love a certain genre of stories. They're time travel. Uh -huh. I love the books. I love the movies. I'll even watch, like, the most low-budget, B-rated movie if it's got time travel, right? There's the, the Flash, who can run so fast he can go back in time. Superman can fly around the world the other way and go back in time. I just love time travel movies. And the part that I like the most in those stories is going back and changing something and then going for and seeing what happened, right? Like tracing it down. And there's all ways they go with these stories of multiple timelines, but it will never be that way. There's only one timeline. We know that. So what would it be like if we could go forward in time, say 20 years, 30 years? What if you could just get a glimpse at our area, right? Your family, uh, Carson City, Dayton, wh wherever you're from, you could get a glimpse of this area and you looked and what you saw blew your mind. What you saw was healthy families, like a lot of them. What if you saw your kids and grandkids in healthy marriages where they, they love each other, they get along, and their kids are growing up in that environment? Uh, what if the schools are going really well, full of Christian teachers, right, loving on, on the kids? What if uh, homelessness is, is gone because, you know, everything is in place to take care of them? The foster kiss system is, is fixed because um, families are healthier and the kids that unfortunately do go into them are put in a Christian home like that. Like, what if you got a glimpse of that future where instead of 5% of our population are going to church, 25%. What would that do just to society? What would that do to people's lives? Now, let's say you got that glimpse, and then you were handed a list of things that you could do to make that happen. Would you do them? R right? Like, this is the future, but only if you do these things and you had this list. Would you go, yeah, I'm going to do it my way? Or would you say, I'm absolutely going to follow this list of things to do? I, I have some good news. It's possible to change the future because the future is not written yet. We can change the future. There are things that we can do to see the future that we dream of. Now, why is it that we so often kind of forget, right? We don't look forward that far. We get wrapped up in what's here, and we get kind of frustrated. You know, maybe you have kids, and you're just focused on the kids because they're there all the time. Um, but we, right, or, or work or, or whatever it is, we get so wrapped up in what's now that we forget to look further down the line and maybe make some adjustments now for those purposes, maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, we overestimate what we can accomplish in a day and underestimate what we can accomplish in a lifetime. That's so true, right? Maybe you're a list person. You wake up in the morning, you make your list, you only get halfway through it. But what, if you're, what about your lifetime list? Do we have ambitions for what God might do? Here's something kind of cool. Jesus, Jesus had a long-range view. When Jesus came right? Uh, today is Palm Sunday. We're, we're celebrating him coming into Jerusalem for the last time. And during that week, we see his high priestly prayer that Alex read last Sunday, where he is praying for those who would come that would believe in him. So the week before he went to his death, he prayed for us. You realize that? Like he had you in mind. He had us in mind. He knew we were going to exist and he was thinking about us. He had a long range view. Again, today is 
Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we are celebrating Jesus going into Jerusalem that very last time. And we know next Sunday is Easter where we will celebrate his resurrection. But we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John. So turn to John, if you would. Because in John, this is the, the last gospel written. It was written quite a bit later. And John is writing, and he's a little bit different than the other three gospels. Those are called the synoptic gospels because they're similar. John is different. John is really intentional, pointing to the identity of Jesus. And so we're going to see him coming on Palm Sunday, entering Jerusalem. Now, we're going to be in John 14. But real quick, I'm just going to read to you this snippet from John 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So that's what happened this day a long time ago, that we remember him coming in for the last time, laying palm branches down. Why did they do that? We know they put palm branches, or if they couldn't get a palm branch, they would take their cloak, they would lay it down, so that Jesus, as he rode in, rode in and didn't touch the ground. They were celebrating a king coming in. The palm branches were a symbol of victory. So they clearly had in their mind that Jesus, and it says it in these verses, the king had come. The king, the Messiah, they had been looking forward to him for generations and generations. The one who would come and rule as king, they were thinking political. They were thinking that he would overthrow uh, Rome, right, and that, that Israel would become this great nation again, full of peace and prosperity, uh, and just life would be good. That's what they were looking at. And Jesus wrote in, I mean, just picture this scene. Jesus is writing in, he knows what he's coming to do. And he was coming to set up a kingdom, but his vision was so much bigger. Israel always struggled, and I think the church now struggles too. They struggled with, with the focus on themselves. They thought it was just about them. Jesus wanted to save Israel. He wanted to save the Jews, but he wanted to save everybody else too. He wanted to move it past just the Jewish people to the rest of the nations. These people laying down these palm trees are like, yes, we're going to be a great nation again. Jesus said, yes, you are, but not, not yet. Later when I come again, but right now, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die to cover the sins of the world so that many more can enter that great kingdom. When it is time for that final triumphal entry, that's going to come. When he comes in, that kingdom's going to be so much fuller of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So Jesus was looking forward as he went in. I mean, just what was going through his head when he knew his plans and everybody else was confused about his plans, what he was going to do? It must have been an emotional roller coaster, right? Imagine Jesus' disciples, which we know they didn't fully understand yet. But here comes Jesus. The king is here. Awesome, wonderful. Friday, he's dead. And they scat, oh, man, he's dead. Sunday, wait, he's alive. Yay, the king is here. Wait, 40 days later, he ascends. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. He's here, he's not, he's here. Where, where'd he go? Now what? And right before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells his disciples something really unique. And it's in John 14. And here he's talking to his disciples, and it's in this section. I love John 14 because the disciples are really wrestling with what Jesus is going to do. It's in John 14 where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you can't come. Not yet. But later you'll get to go. And they ask him, well, where are you going? And if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to get there? And then Jesus says his famous line, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
that one phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip asked this question. Look at John 12, 12 to 13. I'm sorry, no. John 14, that's where we're going to be, 8 through 11. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Here's what I want us to look at today. Jesus is alive, so what? The cross was not the end, but the beginning. The cross was the beginning of something great. We are looking back this week at what he did, which is excellent. We take communion every other week here because we need to always look back. But the cross was the beginning of something new. Jesus rose from the dead in order to do even greater things in our lives and the world today. Jesus rose from the dead to do even greater things in our lives and in the world today. And it begins here with Jesus' identity, right? His disciples were, rest you're going away. Why can't we come? Show us the Father. They said, I've been with you. This is the Trinity, right? This is one of those doctrines that's really tough to get, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Same yet distinct. Good luck getting your mind around that. But here's the point. Jesus is God. Jesus is fully divine, and that's very important to our theology. It's very important to what we will believe. So he, he confirms with them, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's sharing really the power that they share. Everything I've done is what the Father has told me to do. I didn't do anything on my own. We're doing it together. And that's actually key to what comes. Because then he's going to instruct them or, or really just tell them they're going to do great things kind of the same way that Jesus had done great things. So Jesus, he claims that the church will do even greater things than he did. This is interesting. We, we finish right here um, with these words. He says, believe on account of the works. This is verse 11. He says, believe these things that I'm telling you about who I am and the things that I've done, these works, or all this. If you don't believe, believe, look at the works I've done and believe because of that. What he's talking about there is, is basically everything he had done, the way he taught, even when he was a kid in the temple, right? And he's asking questions of the spiritual leaders, and they're like, who is this kid? Who's as smart as this kid asking these questions and, and kind of guiding us? Well, that, that was Jesus, his works, his miracles. Who else would go to a tomb of their best friend, one of their best friends, and be like, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And they see this guy who's been dead for days come like waddling out like this, like unwrap him, right? This is Jesus. Jesus healed, cast out demons. He did these crazy things. And, and here he's saying, look at all the works that I've done. It confirms who I am, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then he's going to make this bold claim. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How in the world 
could Jesus' followers, disciples, do greater works than him? Jesus rose people from the dead. Jesus taught the best sermons ever. I mean, the way he spoke in parables, the way he could take whatever was standing next to him and make an example out of that and teach them a deep spiritual lesson, the way Jesus went to the cross and took the sins of the world, nobody else can do that. So what does he mean that they will do greater works? Because of this verse here and some others, some people have gone far off the deep end with thinking this is, oh, we should be doing all sorts of amazing miracles. That's actually not what he's talking about. Works and signs are different, by the way. In the, the New Testament, signs really refer to Jesus' miracles that he did. Works refer to everything he did. And so this isn't just talking about miracles. That can be confused. Uh, the works God's people do are greater not because they're m more amazing miracles, but because they will do greater, be greater in their worldwide scope and will result in the transformation of individual lives and whole cultures and societies. That's from the ESV study Bible. I think that's helpful. They'll be greater in, in scope. Jesus never left Palestine his entire life. When he died, when he ascended, he had between 120 and 400 followers. 400 at the top end, and, and you can debate what it actually was. 120 to 400? When Peter preaches the first sermon with the other apostles, 3,000 people are saved like that. That's greater. I, I mean, that, that's more. The disciples, they were responsible. Then Paul comes along, right, to spread the gospel around the known world. Within 300 years, roughly 40% of the Roman population were Christians. That's great. I mean, that's ridiculous. So it's not greater as in better, but greater in scope. And we're going to see here how he does that. But Jesus' followers, I, look through history. Again, I think this is helpful because we forget. I, I, maybe I'm the only one, but we forget what God has done in the past. And we look at our current culture. We look at what's going on. We look at our families, and we're just like, oh. And we, right? We get discouraged, and this is it, and, and we give up, and we have this defeatist mentality. Look at history. Right? Remember the Colosseum? Maybe you've seen some of the movies. The Colosseum, great evil was, was done in the Colosseum. I went to the Colosseum and, and did a tour. And it was kind of cool. They said when they finally came back into the Colosseum after so many years, there were trees growing uh, and plants from all over the world because they captured animals from all over the known world and had them fight in the Colosseum. And the seeds fell off their fur. And so it was like this weird international jungle growing in there. But it was just kind of a symbol of, of the evil of where they went, right? I think certain animals went extinct because they killed them all. And then they took Christians and they would, you know, cover them in, in pitch and tar and set them on fire to light the games. And they would throw the Christians in to have uh, the animals. I mean, great evil was done in the Colosseum. You know why it stopped? A Christian, a Jesus follower, heard about it. He was from Asia. He traveled to Rome. In the middle of this gladiatorial fight, these two gladiators fighting to the death, he jumps into the ring, and he walks in the middle of them and does this, right? And he yells out, and he shouts to everybody, in the name of Jesus Christ, let this evil stop. And one of them cleaves his head with an axe. After that, no more Colosseum. It ended right then because one Christian was brave enough to jump in there and give his life. And go down the list of what God has done through his people through history. Schools and hospitals, where do those come from? Believers. In the Roman times, you did not have access to doctors the way we do now. Uh, rich people could, right? But the normal people, not so much. It was Christians that did those things. Education. The world has been changed through Christianity. How about the idea of charity? Do you know that the idea of charity is unique to Jews and Christians? 
It really is the idea of taking care of the poor and less fortunate. In Rome, during that time, and in many cultures, a baby born that they didn't want, they just placed it out in the woods and let it die. Infanticide was huge. The evil was huge until the Christians stepped in and fixed all that. They started grabbing those babies and raising them as their own. And finally, that was outlawed in Rome because of their work. The Christians have done great things, and I would say God has done great things through his people, through history. Who are we to think that's done? This stuff excites me. Because look at our world now. I mean, abortion is just one of those things. Way worse than the infanticide of that day and age. God can do things about that. Look at divorce rates and kids, all these things. My heart breaks for kids, right, in homes with with split families and all this dysfunction. And, And if you're in that, that's okay. God's grace, he can redeem that. But let's look forward. What what if there's less and less of that as time goes on? My goodness, God can do that. God can do even greater things he wants to. Why are we looking at this on Palm Sunday? I wanted to look at this because Jesus, when he was riding in on on Palm Sunday, he had a long-range view. He did. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to be torn apart. But he knew it was worth it. He was looking forward to what he would accomplish. And I think it's worth us looking at that as well. Do you have big dreams? Do you have big gospel kingdom dreams? I want to ask again the question I asked at the beginning. If you could see forward 30 years, what are the things in your mind that would make that excellent? That if God only did these things, you're like, oh, man, that would change society. That would change my own family. You know, I mean, I look at my own kids. I look at all these kids. My dream, right, is that they grow and not make mistakes that I've made right, and experience the joy in Christ, to sell out for the kingdom. I read a, a, it was a piece of a book, um, and it was a writer, and he was lamenting the fact that the Baptist denomination has more teachers in the public schools than any other uh, denomination. He thought all those teachers should get out of the schools because the, the schools are bad and going this way. I said, actually, I think that's something to celebrate. What if we got more teachers in the public school system that loved Jesus and wanted to guide people that way? I, that's a dream, right? I mean, you Christian teachers, we have a lot here. Teachers and administrators, you have a great opportunity to influence this next generation. What if we had even more of those? We can dream big because Jesus dreamed big. Now, here's my question. What can we do in order to witness Jesus doing greater things in and through us? Are there things that we can do? You know, I, I'm asking this now because next week is, is Easter. Next week is the, the highest attendance worldwide of people going to church. Why? Because people are still religious. Because people are still, it's that day, there's something special about that day, and there is something very special about that day. But they're going to get points with God, or, what, or I'll maintain my faith if I just go that one day. What if, what if the following week we had even more? What if the following series, we're doing a special series following that, right, of looking at at God's kingdom compared to religion, and that religion might not be what you think because it is so much greater, and you know that if you know Jesus as Lord. What if, what if the week after Easter even more people came and actually fell in love with Jesus and saw their lives change? I think it's possible, not just in this church but others. So what can we do in order to witness Jesus doing these greater things? Look back at Jesus claiming where did his power come from? The Father. I I only do what the Father gives me to do, right? So Jesus is sharing this unique relationship he has with the Father. And then he gives these instructions that we just read. Look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The first thing believers are given to do is to pray and ask God to work. That's the first thing we're given to do. Pray and ask God to work. As I read through this and I think through this, I think there's a step before it, believing God can do great things and wanting him to. Right? Because we get so wrapped in, in life that we're focused on other things, the next Netflix series or whatever it is, that we don't take the time to dream and think and then ask him to move. Ask him to do things. This is from the Expositor's Bible Commentary, uh, referring to this verse. It says, he will grant only such petitions as could be presented consistently with his character and purpose. In prayer, we call on him to work out his purpose, not simply to gratify our whims. That's what it means here if you ask anything in my name. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs us, right? Say, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. The request is for his will to be done, not for us to get the stuff we want. If you remember James, Jesus' half-brother, he says, you don't have the things you want because you don't ask, right? He's talking about prayer. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your pleasures. What are our prayer lives like? Don't we often just jump to our list? I need this and this and this. Will you do this and this and this for me? What if, what if that switched a little bit and looked at God's glory? You know, Jesus says, I want the Father to be glorified, and the Father is glorified in the Son. What if that was our heartbeat? For God to be glorified, and we ask him to do great things in his name, it begins with asking. But then we ask, and then we walk in obedience. Look at verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In loving unity, we walk in obedience and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. So what? There's a unique power. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, if you remember, Samson, right? Big, strong dude. Others. The Holy Spirit would come on people in power and do things and then leave. Now something different has happened. When Jesus died, he ascended. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in his followers. That's unique. That's different. And so we then walk in obedience. That's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we pray, we ask, we seek. I mean, is anything stirring your heart as I've been talking about this? Is there anything that you're like, I, I want to see this later? Maybe you see that uniquely. And maybe you're the one God wants to use to do it. And so if we love him and we, want, we pray for it, and then we walk in obedience, God in his sovereignty has chosen primarily to work through his people, not around them. This is one of those truths I don't fully understand. Why? Why did God choose to work through y'all? Right? I look in the mirror. Why would God choose to work through me? But that's the way he's done it. I, I shared this recently with another uh, you know, church leader of, of, you know, God works through his people, not around him. And he's like, huh? It's like, huh. And, and he challenged that, and rightly so, right? Because God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants. I said, check, check me on that. Every story I've heard, I do believe visions and, and things happen. Um, I believe people in areas where the gospel isn't flourishing, uh, God will give visions and dreams to people. You know, I've heard these stories. 
But every story I've ever heard, he then sends them to one of his people. A, a, a missionary comes along, or there's a Christian down the, the road, right, that's kind of hidden, and, and, and God brings those people. God works through his people. And here, okay, you're going to not like this, because I don't like this. Our lack of faith, I think, sometimes can limit the things God might do. There's a tension there, because God is bigger than us, and God doesn't need us. So God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me, which gives me so much peace. But yet, there's something about our faith that limits sometimes what God can do. As you look at Jesus' miracles over and over, your faith has made you well. Your right? There's the woman with the bleeding that just sneaks up and grabs his coat, right? Grabs it, and he feels the power go out of him. And he's like, who touched me? Right? right? And she's like hiding in the crowd, like, right? And everybody's like, come on, Jesus. Look at how many people. How can you ask who touched you? He's like, no, somebody touched me, and they know who they are. And she comes walking out, right? It's like your faith has made you well. There's something about our faith. This morning as I was praying through this, um, God kind of drew me to Matthew 13. When Jesus, uh, it's just one verse, you don't have to turn there, but he goes to his hometown and the people wrestle with him. We know him. We saw him grow up. We know his mom. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. And it says this, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What if what if we're about to see God do even greater things because there's going to be a growth in faith and belief among God's people? I believe so. I believe there is a change right now. I met with three church leaders in our area over this past week just to kind of share. Because, you know, we, we, we've, our goal hasn't just been to grow and become a big church. We want to see churches planted, right? And we were looking at planting down in Minden and wrestling with it. And as we wrestled with it, said, no, that's not for us right now. So then what should we do? Well, there's a lot of churches around. What if... We can increase the cooperation, and our heartbeat really can be for growth of the kingdom. And so um, I'm on a mission to meet with as many as I can. Just to begin with this one thing, uh, fellow churches, how about we celebrate kingdom victories together? Um, and we're going to start with, with whenever there's a baptism, we're going to share it. So hopefully as this grows, you're going to hear from here, hey, right now in the community, 10 baptisms today in other churches. And kind of track that, because in our area, there's been kind of a history of of Christians just move church to church to church, but no real impact on the lostness. What if as all the churches, we can get kind of a pulse on our impact on the lostness? And these pastors that I met with are all like, this sounds awesome. Yes, there is a change happening right now in our community and I think in the nation and even the world. COVID has caused some things. We're, we have a unique opportunity right now, and I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. But do we believe God will do greater things? Look at your kids. Look at your family. What do you want God to do? He says right here that he will do greater things. We will do greater things, but it's him in and through us because it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. About this prayer, let me throw out one thing. Pray specifically, right? Not just in general. God, do great things. What are those specific things we would like to see him do? I think that's important, you know, that we pray specifically for these things. So as we look at this, kind of fa fairly straightforward. One, believe God can do great things. Two, ask him specifically to do those great things in line with his character and will, right? Not to make you rich or, right? I mean, maybe that's part of his will. That's cool. If so, uh, let's be friends. Um, but, but in line with his character and his will, right? So that's two. And then walk in obedience. Be willing for him to say, yeah, you're the one that I want to do something about that. 
What is the issue that comes to mind? Who are the people that come to mind for this? Again, what if? What if the series following Easter, what if those three weeks were our biggest attendance weeks? Now, don't be confused. We don't think it's about church, really. We think the greatest evangelism takes place where we live, work, and play out there. But yet, there's something unique when we gather. The Holy Spirit's here. There's something unique, and we hear it all the time, of people that come in that maybe didn't want to, um, or, or they came in iffy, and, and the Holy Spirit grabs them. So there's something unique about this experience. And so as we move to, to this next session of music, uh, we don't have communion today, I want you to take a minute and pray. Is there a name that comes to mind, somebody you can invite? Is there an issue that comes to mind, you're like, I would love to see God do something about that? If so... And let me encourage you, we should have something stir our hearts and minds. Go to the prayer wall, write it down, and stick it in there. Maybe it's a name. Write it in. Uh, maybe you don't want to throw somebody under the bus. You don't want to put their name. But you and God know, and just like write a line. I mean, seriously, it's just an active step of prayer. Maybe it's an issue. Maybe it's something in your family or something else. Write it down because we're told, ask in his name. And so that's going to be our step right now. Let's ask. Let's ask him to do great things, and then let's look for opportunities to be used for those great things. If it's a person that comes to mind and you put their name down, they're going to be prayed for this week. Not only them, but you. You will be prayed for that you will have an opportunity to step into their life, to share, to invite, whatever it is, but that God might use you to reach them. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this time of year. Uh, Palm Sunday, we remember you coming in as the victorious king, and you are the victorious king. God, you are our king. You deserve all our allegiance, and so we give it to you. Jesus, thank you for your death and resurrection. Your resurrection, you being alive, is the great so what. It gives us life, life here, hope, joy, purpose, life for eternity in your perfect kingdom on a new heaven and a new earth. You have given us everything. Um, God, I, I, I want to ask forgiveness for myself for lack of faith. Um, I, I want to... Be bold enough to ask forgiveness of the church as a whole. Um, often we lack faith. We get into our religious activities, um, but we lack faith, belief that you want to do great things. But God, we do believe that you want to do great things. So stir our hearts toward whatever those are. God, it's not us being creative. It's not us working in our own strength to grow something. God, it's us serving you to see you do what you want to do because we're so in tune with you. We love you. Jesus. Be honored and glorified now as we sing.